0: All right, Matthew chapter 1, looking at verses 18 through 25, which is probably a pretty well-known passage to many of us. Let me read for us. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until him, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I was thinking about this text this week and just reading through and singing through a Come and Come, Emmanuel. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting hymn. When you sing it, and when you look at the lyrics, when you look at the poem that we're singing, there's a sense in which... We're singing a song that is very much a song about longing. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come and ransom captive Israel. Come and ransom us. Uh, It's a song about longing. It's interesting that we sing a song about longing when what we're celebrating is the fulfilling. Uh, And what I want us to understand as we consider the text in front of us this morning is that for Joseph and for those before Jesus' birth, there was longing and then after Jesus' birth, there was experiencing and enjoying. And then after Jesus' ascension, there is continued experiencing and enjoying, but now once again longing because the phys- the Jesus physically is in heaven and his spirit is with us now, but we can see that the world is not as it's meant to be. And so we still long for God with us, fully God with us. All right so it's a song of longing for us just like it was an experience of longing for Joseph and i was reading an article this week and I'm watching a short like 5 minute little mini documentary it was on the new york times.com and it was uh, the name of the article name of the documentary is this a song of love and longing on the mexican border And so I don't know what you think about what our nation should do as regards our borders and as as regards deportation and as regards securing our borders and building walls and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what you think, but I know that I know enough of you to know that we don't all think the same thing. And I want you to know that I I don't care about that and that that is not what I'm about to talk about. I want to talk to you about a specific story that was referenced in this article. Um, It's about a man named Jose, and I'm going to read for you an excerpt that the the journalist wrote about this father who was deported back in 2002. He now lives in Tijuana, and once a month he meets with his daughter who looks at him and they can barely touch each other through the mesh there at the San Diego border, Uh, and they've they've not been able to be present with each other except divided by this mesh for 14 years. All right, so here is the quote from that article. She writes that Jose's fingertips can summon a word of loss, a world of loss and longing. They glide over his guitar or dance over the keys of his accordion as he croons a love song to his daughter, Susanna. He's in Tijuana, Mexico, and she stands a few feet away in San Diego. The metal mesh fence that marks the border has cleaved their lives ever since he was deported from the United States in 2002. The only contact he has with her has been when they slip their hands through the mesh and touch fingertips. So where they are in their story is Jose now know his daughter is expecting her first child and she's going to be getting married soon as well. And so as, as he's sharing his story with this journalist, he, she has a work visa that doesn't allow her to come visit him and he can't come visit her. And so he is longing to be with her and to see his grandchild and to walk her down the aisle, but he can't. And I want you to understand that what what he's experiencing is a bit of what we experience now, this longing, this love, but also there's a a sadness, there's a brokenness still in the world, and so even though there's reason for joy, there's also longing that we experience. O Come O Come Emmanuel is, you could essentially uh, title it, a song of love and longing for the people of God today. Uh, We sing about the love that we have for him, the celebrating the love he has for us, but we still long to be with him. We long to fully experience him with us, Emmanuel, God with us in the daily life physically. So as we think about this hymn, as we think about this text, when it's fulfilled here in Matthew chapter one, uh, we're gonna be talking about the call for us to celebrate and to be, to be a people who celebrate Emmanuel at Christmas and a people who long for Emmanuel at Christmas. Those are not mutually exclusive. The Christmas season, and much like the rest of the year, We celebrate that Christ has come, and that Christ has risen, and we long because Christ is coming again. We long for him. And so that's what the song's about for us, that's what the text is about, and we're going to consider that together. But first, let's talk about this prophecy, the prophecy of Emmanuel. You probably see a note in your Bible that it's referencing back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You don't need to flip there. I'll go ahead and just read that for us. It says this, "'Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign.'" Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the prophecy that the Lord gave through Isaiah. Now, when Isaiah gave that prophecy, he was, we, we hear that and we just assume that God, that Isaiah is speaking into like this, this great expanse of people across all generations. But actually, what is happening is Isaiah is sitting across from Ahaz, who is not a good king. He's the king of Judah and he's not a good one. He's not leading the people in the way that God would have him lead. He's leading them away from God. And so what's happening in Isaiah chapter 7 is that Isaiah's talking to Ahaz and saying, Ahaz, you need to return the people to the Lord. You need to lead them the way that God would have you to lead or else there's judgment coming. He says, and you need to believe me. You can ask a sign of the Lord. The Lord will give you a sign and you will know that this is true and that you need to lead the people back to him. And Ahaz hypocritically says, uh, if you read the text, He says, I will not ask a sign of the Lord. I will not test the Lord. It sounds super spiritual. But what he's saying is, I don't want God to lead his people through me. They're my people. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so then God says, Well, there's going to be a sign. And the sign is that a virgin's going to conceive. And she's going to give birth to a son, and he's going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Which means, wicked King Ahaz, the sign will be, I will not leave my people with evil leadership forever. I will come and be their God with them. I will come and dwell with them. I will come and lead them. And so if you're a wicked king, this is not a good word. But if you're a spiritually broken and uh, spiritually impoverished family, it's a wonderful word that God gives, that he will come and be with his family. And so it's a promise for the people that this good news promise that God himself is going to come, he's going to love, and he's going to lead his family. He'll come for them. And so then begins the waiting. And so for us, as we think about this at you know, Christmas time, you have Israel, and Israel is waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for Emmanuel. They're waiting for the one who will come and who will lead them. Uh, and you have Joseph, who is... Um, He's a Jewish man about to get married, waiting for the same thing. If you know much about the Gospel of Matthew, um, you may have heard this before. But Matthew had in mind that the first audience he wrote for to distribute his Gospel was a Jewish audience. And so he was writing to them knowing that they were anticipating the coming Messiah. Unlike Luke, who's writing to Theophilus, who may or may not have known anything about Isaiah's prophecy. When Matthew writes, he knows that, that just like Joseph, the people receiving this gospel, are going to know about this prophecy that God will send one from a virgin who will be with them, God with them. So Joseph receives this, and he's excited. That's why he's willing to, he hears the message from, from the angel, and up until this point, I hope you realize, like, the way that Matthew writes this, he says that, um, that Mary was already, she'd already conceived by the Holy Spirit, but, but that's confirmed to Joseph later on in our account when the angel meets with him. When he essentially when he's going to divorce his his wife to be quietly when he's going to break the um, the engagement, it's because he just assumes no, no virgins don't have babies. Uh, and then an angel comes and says, "No, this is the one that you and your parents and your grandparents and your great grandparents and your great grandparents' parents have been waiting for. You're going to be the earthly father who cares for God with us." And so he. He says, yes, he wakes up, he marries Mary. They do not have sex. She has their child, the child from the Holy Spirit, and they name him Jesus, a name which means, if you, under, if you know where the name comes from, it comes from uh, the Hebrew for Joshua, which is Joshua's name, which means God saves. So they have Emmanuel, God with us, the child who is God who saves. And so this is what happens, and this is why Joseph, he says, yes, I will. I will marry her. I will be, I will start this family because this is something worth celebrating. This is exciting for him and exciting for the people of Israel uh, if they fully understand that Emmanuel has come. Now, I want, I want to put this in the timeline for us. So if you start over here, and over here you have um, Isaiah talking to Ahaz, and he makes this prophecy the prophecy, then you go for generations and generations and generations until you come to the birth of Jesus. And that's when the angel shows up and talks to Joseph and says, this is the one that you've been waiting for. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. This is Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. And then Jesus lives with on, on earth. And then we think primarily about his three-year ministry before he then gives his life on the cross. He then... Uh, takes God's wrath, and then he is raised to the newness of life, and then he ascends to be with the Father, and then it starts that whole section of God is interceding for us with the Father. He sends the Spirit, but we still live in a broken world. So we're over here in a broken world, and I want you to understand when the promise was given, it was still a broken world. But as we watch that timeline unfold, we are part of the vast majority of God's people that are still waiting for the fullest expression of God with us. Joseph was excited. We should be excited. The disciples were excited. Jesus wasn't lying when he said to them, well, Jesus was never lying, but specifically in reference to when he said, it's going to be better for you when I go because I'm going to send the comforter, it's because Jesus was one man in space and time, and then he said, it's going to be better for you because all of you are going to have God with you all the time. You're to kind of have the, even if it's just a partial experience of it, it's still an experience of Emmanuel. So just like Joseph, I want us to be a celebrating church family. I want us to celebrate Emmanuel, that God is with us. But also just like Joseph before Jesus was born and every generation since Jesus' ascension and those before Joseph, we long, we long for the fullest expression of God with us. Of Emmanuel. So let's consider that this morning, looking at celebrating and longing. So, first, celebrating. If we celebrate Emmanuel, we look at this text Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, and his name's going to be Jesus, the God who saves. Uh, ultimately, that's why we celebrate, it's because God did what he promised. God sent his own son, God in the flesh, to come and to dwell with us and to accomplish our salvation. That's why we celebrate. Oftentimes, when when it gets to be Christmas time, it gets to be the holidays, Um, some of us, I watched Elf with my two-year-old son uh, over Thanksgiving, which Elf is, you know, I I don't know what you think about Elf. I enjoy it. Uh, I'm not using it to educate my children on the meaning of Christmas, uh, but it's an enjoyable film. Uh, So we watch Elf, and if you've ever seen Elf, you know that you learn that one of the best ways to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And so oftentimes when we get to Christmas time, we think that the reason that we have Christmas is that at least for one month out of the year, people should be happy. And we should have Christmas because people are sad and we don't want sad people to be sad. We want sad people to be happy. So let's make a celebratory season. That's not the meaning of Christmas. That's not why we celebrate. Is it good for people to be happy? Yes. Do we want people who are sad to be happy? Yes. Do we want people to be joyful? Do we want to celebrate with people? Yes. But we celebrate not the chance to celebrate, but we celebrate what's been done for us. We celebrate that God is with us, that Jesus saves. That's what we celebrate. Some of you love babies, and I love that you love babies. And I love when other people have babies. And I love that I have three children, complete set. And what I want you to understand about babies is that to some degree or another, you may think Christmas is wonderful because we celebrate a baby, We get to see a baby and people dress up and hold little babies and babies are great. We should protect babies and love babies and care for babies and nurture babies. But Christmas is not about, you know, celebrating babies. It's about celebrating one baby that came and that lived and that died and that was punished for us and that was raised and ascended to intercede for us. We celebrate one man who was born a baby. And so as we think about what that means for us, as we think about being a celebrating church family, we celebrate because God is truly with us, personally with us, corporately with us. He's with me. He's with you if you're a follower of Jesus. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit means the Spirit of Jesus is with you. He leads you. He loves you just the way that was promised to Ahaz that God would do. He would come and be the leader and the lover of his people. And so he's come. And he's our leader, and he's our lover, and he also saves us. Now, here's something interesting. I don't know what Joseph thought because the scriptures don't tell us, but most of the Jewish population assumed that when Emmanuel would come, when the Messiah would come, he would come to save us. He would save us from the Romans. He would save us from oppression. He would save us from evil tax collectors. He would save us from whatever the injustice is. But do you see what the angel tells him? He says, no, Emmanuel is coming. God with us to save us from our sins. Which is why, regardless of context, for Joseph, for every follower of Jesus since, we all have reason to celebrate because God has sent his son to save us from what ultimately separated us. What ultimately separates us from God is not Muslims. What ultimately separates us from God is not the LGBTQ community. What ultimately separates you and me from God is not the fact that there are people that don't love him, it's that I don't love him. And that you don't love him. And so Jesus came to save us, not from those people out there. He came to save us from our own damning. And so when we celebrate, we celebrate each and every one of us who's a follower of Jesus because each and every one of us is a story of God saving someone from themselves. And so each of us has a reason to celebrate. And so I want you to think about what your life looks like right now. If you're going to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus who saved, you're celebrating that you're not alone, and you're celebrating that the one who is with you is the one who has saved you. So this Christmas, if this season you find yourself more lonely than you've ever been before or in the midst of more grief than you've ever been before and it feels crushing to you, I want you to leave here and know that Emmanuel means God is with you. That you can celebrate because you don't walk that alone. Or if you look at whatever's going on uh, in your job, or in your family, if there's stress at job or at your job or stress in your family, and you worry that this season, as opposed to being life-giving, is going to be draining for you, I want you to know that in that job that you may or may not love, or in that family where you may or may not feel loved, you're not alone. Emmanuel means that we can celebrate, not because our context has changed, but because God loves us, and he's come for us. And so we celebrate that. But we also celebrate the fact that he saved us. Because oftentimes when we think about God being with us, we assume that's just, I just don't want to be alone. I don't want to be lonely. I want to have someone with me. I want to have someone affirm me. I want to have someone love me when ultimately what we need is someone to save us. And so for for those of you who quietly, or maybe not so quietly, you look back on the year 2016, and what you're reminded of is not that you feel lonely, but that you feel like a wretch, when you look at 2016, and you think this is the year when I proved to my spouse that I wasn't worth marrying, that I'm not the man that she deserves or that I'm called to be, or I'm not the woman that he deserves and that, he's, that I'm called to be. Or if you're a parent that feels like this is the year when it all fell apart, and if people in this room watched what happened behind the closed doors of my home, I'd have to find a new church family because they wouldn't sit close to me or ever smile at me again because they don't know the things that I say. They don't know the actions that I take. The only way that you can celebrate if you feel that crushing weight of your own sin is to be saved from it. And so I want to encourage you that the one, that Emmanuel, God with us, is the God who saves us from our own sin. So for sinful, broken spouses, for sinful, broken dating relationships, for sinful, broken singleness and same-sex attraction, for single, broken family relationships estranged parents relationships parenting uh, parenting sin all of that all of that that's going on and swirling around inside of you and convincing you that you need to fake it when you're here but there's nothing to celebrate about your life celebration is there for you the celebration comes only through repentance though you repent and you receive forgiveness and you're reminded that Emmanuel is God's saving with me not in conjunction with me, but the God who came is with me and has saved me. You need the reminder that Jesus didn't come to save people who were worth saving. Jesus came to save the unworthy because he was the only worthy one. And so we celebrate that God has always placed his affection, his loving, gracious, forgiving affection on unworthy men, women, and children like us. And so we celebrate that we're saved we celebrate that at Christmas. Now, so that's the celebration. What about the longing? If you look at, at the uh, O Come, O Come Emmanuel, there's this idea of longing and rejoicing and longing and rejoicing. And, and I want us to, to have that in balance as we consider this this morning. When we talk about the longing, the longing that Israel had and the longing that we now have, they long for Jesus' first coming, we're longing for his second coming. There are two aspects of longing that I want you to take hold of. One is that we long honestly and we long expectantly. We need to be longing because the world is not the way it's supposed to be. But we do so honestly and expectantly. So talking about longing honestly, if you look around the world, you know the world is not the way that it's supposed to be. Things are not happening the way they're supposed to happen. People are not flourishing the way they're supposed to flourish. Families are breaking. Marriages are breaking. Sin continues to run its course in so many of our, well, in all of our lives to one degree or another. So we look around and we know that the world is broken and things are not the way it's supposed to be. And Christmas is not the time when we pretend that that's not the case. Christmas is not the time when we fake it. It is not not mutually exclusive to celebrate Emmanuel and to grieve over the brokenness of the world. To celebrate at Christmas and to weep and to grieve at Christmas can go hand in hand. Because this world is not the way it's supposed to be and neither is your life. Neither is what's going on in your life. And so I want you to understand that it is not only okay, it is honest and it is authentic when your longing looks like grieving and desperation. It's okay because there is reason for you to grieve still. There are situations that are still desperate. So that is not, this is not a time when you can look at one another and decide, hey, all right, I'm just not going to bring people down. There is a place necessarily for the kind of honesty where we can celebrate that Jesus has come. We can anticipate that he's coming again. And we can grieve because there are still tears that have not yet been wiped away. And so I want you to think about that, what it, what it means for you to long for Jesus to come, to long honestly, to long for there to be a full restoration that hasn't quite happened. That idea of Revelation you know, 21.4 when we're told that Jesus will come again and he will wipe every tear from every eye and there's going to be no more sadness and there's going to be no more death, there's not, never going, to, there's not going to be any more sickness. That's not today, but it's coming. But because it's not today, let's not pretend like it is. So I want us to have that freedom where we can celebrate even in the midst of the brokenness around us. And so it is good for you and I when we celebrate Christmas for us to celebrate and in the same breath long to see things made whole in our families or in our marriages. It is good for us to celebrate and at the same time long that God will bring healing or comfort to those who are grieving or those who are ill and hurt because the world's not the way that's supposed to be. Hillary, my wife, showed me a video yesterday. It was distributed by International Justice Mission, uh, IJM, and it's, uh, is that right? Yes, yes. Show me the video. The video is essentially a heartbreaking video uh, that's showing internet sex trade as it's flourishing in the Philippines and the desire to end it. We should be able to see that video right alongside whatever else you saw on Facebook that was celebrating Christmas, and we celebrate and we weep the same afternoon because things are broken we need justice we need to see god make broken things right we need to see perpetrators brought to justice we need to see things that are hurt restored and renewed and so for us to long for that is honest and good and so whatever that longing looks like for you whatever it is that you say i can't put this aside i'm not asking you to you can grieve and you can weep and you can celebrate because he's coming again. But we live in a sinfully broken world before he has. Now, that's balanced with longing expectantly. We don't just long honestly. We can honestly also long expectantly because Jesus' first coming was a down payment of his second coming. And so even though things break our hearts even though there's grief and there's suffering and there's loneliness and that the holidays bring those things to the forefront of our minds. We can't seem to sidestep them or get away from them. What I want to remind you of is that we long expectantly because we are promised it won't always be this way. But even more than that, we're not only promised that every tear will be wiped away from every eye, but we're also promised now that God is currently making all things new. Not everything is new, But we're not just waiting. And so as you think about what it looks like to long for Jesus to come back and to make all things right and to make all things new, I want you to think about the fact that the already, the not yet means that we wait for the fullness, but we're also active in the proximate. What you have in front of you, what's going on with you right now, what's going on temporally in your time and space, in your family, you can long for it to be fully fully healed, and at the same time, you can participate because the Spirit is with you. Jesus is with you in the Spirit, so that you can start bringing meaningful change and experiences of the gospel into the broken world. You and I are not told to wait for Emmanuel and to wait sitting on our hands. Jesus is with us now. Which means that if what you want to see is restoration in your family and you long for that, you long for the fullness of it, but the Spirit means that Jesus is with you in the midst of it, so you can start bringing healing to your family. You can call your mom or you can call your brother that you haven't spoken to in 20 years. You can be an agent of bringing restoration now because Jesus is no less with you, even if you don't experience the fullness of Emmanuel. You have the partial experience of Jesus with you. So what will you and I do, not just during the Christmas time, but beyond how are we going to live long expectantly and proactively living expectantly? How are we going to pursue justice? How are we going to pursue, whether you see a video on Facebook from IJM or whatever you see, how are you going to say, yes, I want to see God make all things new. I want to see these hurts uh, restored. I want to see people renewed. And how am I going to participate in it? You can't participate in everything, But Jesus is with you, which means that in the sphere where you live, the relationships that you have, you can bring the experience of Emmanuel into that, because God is with you, and you take him with you into every single relationship that you have, every opportunity that's presented to you. In just a few minutes, we're going to gather here around the table, and the the Lord's table is a great reminder for us that Jesus has come and that he's coming again. So we're going to gather around this table, and what we're going to be celebrating is the same thing we celebrate every month at this time. We celebrate the fact that our Savior, Emmanuel, the God who saved, came, he lived, he gave himself as a ransom for us, and we celebrate that accomplished work. But we remember it also knowing that there will come a time when we will celebrate with him physically, and all of the brokenness that still brings tears to our eyes will be no more. And so we celebrate and we long at the table. Let's pray.